0: Stop Shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and boy, does it feel good to no longer be recording that intro quietly in a hotel room. I was very scared of waking up my neighbors because um, the hotel I stayed at, there wasn't like much noise between the rooms. There's a lot of noise between the room and the hallway, and, like, there was a space between the both doors and the ground, and I was like, oh my god, the last thing that someone who's trying to sleep and get a few hours of shut-eye between expo nights, the last thing that they want <laughs> is to hear me going, how wow! So now I'm free to intro the podcast without anxiety. Until I bring up this next topic, which I'm just gonna get through really quick. If you are listening to this podcast the day it comes out, I want to formally apologize once again for the delay this episode is coming out Wednesday early evening afternoon not Wednesday morning as we typically do and the reason for that ends up like yada 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 into good news which is that next week we will be playing audio from my World of Duffy and Friends Revealed panel at D23 Expo this panel was such a blast Uh and apparently people who attended also liked it, so it's not just me being biased. Um, but we were able to locate the footage. I'm gonna be able to pull the audio out of the video to put it on the podcast, which is very exciting. I wasn't entirely sure that it would come together, but we got it, and so that will be next week's episode, which I am so excited about. There's we talked to people we've talked on the podcast before, like Charlie and Eva and Daniel, and it's just so great. And um, the reason this is delayed is because we thought we might get it in time for this week's episode to put it in with Disney news stuff which also would have been a terrible idea because that's too much but you know me I um uh what's what's the opposite of like uh over promise and under deliver oh no that is that's it that's I guess kind of what I do because I have terrible time management but <laughs> what I lack in time management time management I make up for in hope and in wanting to deliver you the best podcast product possible so sadly we weren't able to glue them together for this week, which meant that I missed my editing deadline with Jeff, so I'm editing this week's podcast and your girl not good at editing. She may have gotten a little confident after making mini episodes in the middle of the night in her hotel room every night at D23 Expo and uh, forgot how uh, intense <laughs> a full like editorial style recap of Disney parks news can be for a full episode with all the little uh, beeps and noises and things. So I apologize for any audio issues in this episode. We should be good to go. Cause it's just me discussing things, but beyond that, um, Twenty three expo was great. I forgot. I haven't been at a convention since 2019. So it was overwhelming on day one and two. And then day three, I really hit a stride. Like I really got into it. And then it ended, which was kind of a bummer. I was kind of getting used to my life being like, sleep six hours, wake up, get ready, grab a backpack, go just have news yelled at you for hours and, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and then do it all again the next day. It was really nice. <laughs> and now my life feels so calm without it, which is strange. But it was a really good time. I'm really glad I went, and I can't wait for the next one. But we have so much to talk about from D23 Expo 2022 that we need to wrap up, that we are going to get into. And we're not just saying, like, talking about news, recapping the news. No, we have a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions, a lot of predictions, and some surprises and secrets in here that you, uh, probably not expecting. Uh, That's all I'm gonna say for now. Uh, We're gonna take a quick break and then we'll get into dissecting everything about the D23 Expo Disney Parks news that came out. Stick around, we'll be right back. people, let's get into recapping and going over all of the news out of D23 Expo that affects Disney parks. I've written a lot of notes for this episode and I have a lot of stuff to say, so buckle up because it's going to get interesting. Just to let you know from the top, we're essentially just going to skip over the international announcements like that Tangled ride or the Pixar show coming to Walt Disney Studios at Disneyland Paris for this episode because... One, we don't, the details are thin, there's not that much there. And two, we have been waiting so much, we've been waiting so much for domestic news. And whether or not we did get that, which we are going to get into, we have so much else to discuss that takes precedent over that. I'm also just going to admit this at the top, that I was given a special secret preview look at one of the attractions we're about to discuss that I haven't told a single person about, except for you. So get... Get ready for that. See, I told you this is going to be more than us just gabbing about news. There's intrigue! With that all said... Let's get into talking Disney Parks news from D23 Expo. Because there was so much stuff and it's all sort of scattered in stages of development and timeline and realistic possibility that it might occur, we're going to go in chronological order, which I think will help with the chaos of it. We'll discuss everything in that chronological order, and then we can end on breaking down those bananas, blue sky ideas, like a Disney Villain's Land and Moana to Animal Kingdom that were presented during the Disney Parks panel at D23 Expo. So we begin with this very month, during which Eudora's Chic Boutique featuring Tiana's Gourmet Secrets will open at Disneyland and The Incredible Hulk will begin appearing at Avengers Campus. Eudora's Chic Boutique will be, as Disney puts it, an all-new retail store opening in New Orleans Square on September 20th. The uh, official announcement says that Tiana is collaborating with her talented dressmaker mother to open this fantastic little shop with accessories to create and serve masterful New Orleans-style cuisine and more. So it sounds like this will be Tiana-inspired clothing, home goods, kitchen wares, and more. And personally... I really look forward to the princess and the frogification of New Orleans Square. I think this film fits so perfectly within the space. I think that that space will only benefit by having some sort of IP or intellectual property, in this case, this classic film within it. And I have to imagine that adding Tiana in will make these stores so much more worthy of visiting when they're character specific. Over at Avengers Campus, uh, beginning next week for a limited time, which I believe will be the week after you hear this, since it was announced on a Sunday, you may have the opportunity to have your own heroic encounter with the Incredible Hulk, who will appear in his quantum suit inside Avengers Campus. I do just want to take a hot minute here to praise Avengers Campus for actually committing to the assignment. We do a lot of complaining and vocal review as theme park fans, myself included, but they really nailed it here. This land only works if it's populated with heroes, And it is populated with heroes. I personally haven't been keeping tally, but apparently more than 35 different characters have already made appearances in Avengers Campus. And the fact that they have not let up on that over time and who you see in the parks aligns with what's currently on air is, I think, how Disney Parks thrives in the future and connects itself in a timely way to its digital programming. Keep in mind how long it has taken for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge to do this. The Hulk will be there starting next week for a limited time only, and I gotta tell you, I wish it wasn't temporary. I mean, I get it, they do such a good job here swapping in and out characters, but the Hulk is a pretty significant one, and I hope they keep him around at least for the entire length of run of She-Hulk, which is over a month longer. Also, can we get She-Hulk up in here? That would be amazing. Also, uh, to add on again, the Hulk does look a little, like, stuffed into his suit. (laughs) I wish it was the true, like, green guy Hulk. But I guess beggars can't be choosers because he is full size regardless. So I got to give him that. Speaking of, in mid-November 2022, The Mandalorian and Grogu will arrive at Disneyland. For the person who asked why not Disney World, I don't know, and I'm very sorry. Selfishly, as a West Coaster, I'm thrilled, but I can imagine it hurts if you go to the parks in Disney World and you don't get this. I don't know why, but I'm real sorry. Anyway... It is funny that this will technically be a holiday offering due to the timing, but nonetheless, I am so for this, even if it is unbelievably overdue. Grogu debuted in 2019, so it's comical that it's taken until the end of 2022 for him to appear in the parks. Any theme park fan knows the reason for this, of course, and that's because the storyline and rigid timeframe of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge simply didn't allow for it. This is also why these two characters will likely be relegated to the Marketplace area as to stay in story and not cross paths with the other characters in the land. Because The Mandalorian takes place before the new trilogy of films, which our land is set in, we're really playing with a real back-to-the-future-don't-accidentally-date-your-mom type of situation here. I am all for Mandalorian being in this land, but... Adding Boba Fett and these characters is really indicative of how huge of a misstep it was to leave Galaxy's Edge so locked into a certain moment in time, between the 8th and 9th films specifically, when the Star Wars franchise planned to have new programming every year. Nothing happens in a vacuum, so it just doesn't make sense to me why they'd lock themselves into this time frame specifically. Not just in a theme park design sense, but also knowing what was coming in the next 10 years or so with Lucasfilm. In hindsight, it really just seems so foolish that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is set between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, locked in the timeline of the newer films, which means... Darth Vader and Luke and Leia simply don't and likely can't appear here, as well as any future characters on any future series that France will naturally grow affection for. It just feels so short-sighted seeing what the company's priorities are now. Which brings me to a larger thesis I'll probably bring up later in this episode as well that keeps tying back into park changes. That these spaces should really be reflective of the content happening on screen on Disney Plus. If you're shouting at me in the car, (laughs) just give me a second to explain myself. Because it is what the Walt Disney Company is now. You can like that. You can hate that. But it informs everything that is happening or will happen within these theme parks going forward. Personally, just looking at the framework of the company as a whole now, I do believe these parks need to be a showcase for their digital content. They need to be, in a business sense, in a survival sense, and in a Disney is special and unlike any other company with a unique ability to do this sense. A point that was reiterated to members of the media often at our Thursday night preview at D23 Expo by executives. And things like this, adding Baby Yoda is the perfect way to do it and seemingly make most people happy, even if it cuts into their own design thesis. I'm glad they're powering through and adding characters within the Star Wars franchise that fans want to see, including both of these together. And for anyone who hasn't seen the character design yet, Mandalorian is there with Baby Yoda and a little sling bag, a little pouch, (laughs) so cute. So prepare yourself as you can only really see... Grogu's head and his eyes blink and his mouth move you can't hold him you can't touch him but I watched the live stream footage again from d23 expo I couldn't see much from our seats in this panel and Grogu has a little hand sticking out so I'm looking forward to see if he can wiggle it and I hope he can but either way it was about time they added this stuff into the park even if they technically by their own rules shouldn't and I am all for it Now, in early January 2023, we are getting brand new entertainment across Disneyland Resort. These announcements came at the end of the panel, which was a fun delight, especially because if I have to see Mickey's Mix Magic ever again, I truly might just break glass and crawl into a window on Main Street USA to hide. Truly. These two evening show announcements tie in with Disney 100, which is constantly being talked about, but never really explained. Kind of like that short period of time when we all learned about COVID and knew it was very bad, but had no idea we should probably be wearing masks. Kind of like that, but way more fun. Essentially, 2023 marks the 100-year celebration, the centennial of the Walt Disney Company. Really sneaks up on you, huh? Which is all-encompassing across all aspects of the company. Disney 100, 100 Years of Wonder, includes so much. There's a traveling Walt Disney Archives exhibition, aptly titled Disney 100 The Exhibition, which will launch at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia on February 18th and then travel to Chicago and Kansas City, Missouri, and on and on to different cities, with an international version of that starting in Munich and traveling elsewhere after. There will be special Disney 100 merchandise, new commemorative books, an ABC News documentary, and so much more to be announced in the future, as well as an official site, Disney100.com, which is currently live but formally launches on January 1st. But the reason we're even talking about that is because Disneyland is kind of going to be the place where these celebrations for Disney 100 kick off, specifically with these nighttime spectaculars that we are going to discuss. WONDROUS JOURNEYS, the new nighttime show coming to Disneyland Park, will feature references to all 60 Walt Disney animation films with state-of-the-art projections, which I have on good authority are going to be very good, while World of Color 1, a Disney California adventure, will elaborate the storytelling legacy started by Walt Disney a century ago. It will supposedly tell the new story of how, and this is the official description, I would never use these words, a single action like a drop of water creates a ripple that can grow into a wave of change. It brings some of the most courageous, loving, and inspiring characters to life in new ways and will also feature a new original song, Start a Wave. Personally, I think these two sound great. Not only do we have Fantasmic, one of the best shows ever, staged so well at Disneyland, but now we have two, two new nighttime shows, which that resort really kind of needs. I didn't love the song that they sang at D23 Expo that'll be in Wondrous Journeys. Nothing is like Happily Ever After, which we will get to, but I reserve my thoughts until I see the show as a whole. The top of next year will really be exciting for Disneyland, because beyond two brand new nighttime spectaculars debuting seemingly in tandem... Right around the corner after that, in early 2023, we're getting the reopening of Mickey's Toontown and the debut of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. It feels kind of fast, right? I know they're not reinventing the wheel, but that's one year since it closed on March 9th. It feels speedy, and I like it. As we already knew, this attraction will be set in the El Capitoon Theater, which... Funnily enough is a play on the El Capitan Theater, which in real life here in Hollywood is across the street from the TCL Chinese Theater, formerly known as Grauman's Chinese Theater, where this attraction stands at Walt Disney World. Isn't that kind of cute? Anyway, the vibe of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway with the entrance and the queue and the decor leading up to the ride experience honors Mickey Mouse way, way, way more than in Florida, which you can tell from everything we've already seen. We learned this from the fun facade and the Toontown model on display at D23 Expo, as well as the cute artwork that Josh Damaro showed us during the D23 Expo parks panel. And I won't lie, I was skeptical of this attraction coming here. The design-once-build-twice philosophy isn't really my personal favorite, particularly when it comes to attractions that are at both domestic parks, as much as I understand it from a business perspective. But, dare I say, I think Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway will end up working better here at Disneyland. I wasn't sure how I was going to discuss this on the podcast, but here's a bombshell. I was secretly invited to a private walkthrough of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway a few days ago with a handful of other reporters and Disney CEO Bob Chapek. Everyone's being real dodgy about this online, as there were other people there I truly expected to mention this loudly and publicly well before I did, but it's been days on the internet and there's been crickets, so I guess we're just gonna talk about it here. Now, as a loud, opinionated, mouthy woman on the internet, there's not a chance and you know what, I'm just plunking that information in a tweet, hitting send, and thinking the reaction won't be anything short of an abuse parade wherein I'm accused of being... A corporate shill, a hack, a company mouthpiece, or dozens of other things I cannot mention verbally here as we are a family-friendly podcast. But because after seven years in this line of work, I've seen some unbelievable feedback online to people like me just doing our jobs, alas, here is a small statement before we get into it. Reporters are often given random opportunities to meet with executives. And rest assured, this does not change anything about the way I report on this company. I still strongly believe and will openly complain about many things, of which there are many included but not limited to how prohibitively difficult it is to visit Walt Disney World at the moment, how 7am Genie Plus bookings are the antithesis of what it means to be on vacation, and how they're quite openly devaluing their own hotel product and pretending like nothing is happening. But even with that and many more complaints to come, I have been previously and continue to be somewhat sympathetic to the position the current CEO is in. As we've all observed, when things happen in the park sector that we don't like, Disney fans blame Peck, And when things happen in the park sector that we do like, Disney fans praise Josh Tomorrow. There's a lot wrapped in this, but it's undeniable at this point that Tomorrow gets a pass, and frankly I think it's a bit weird, a bit twisted, and somewhat dangerous that one executive, perhaps due to his personality type or charm or physical appearance, has somehow become someone that park guests are a fan of, despite the fact that he is steering the ship that has caused nearly every change those same people have openly attributed to ruining Disney parks. It is no reflection on how DeMauro does the job, which I personally think he does very well, but simply of the fans' reception and perspective of it. One man can do no wrong, and one man can do no right. And I don't think that's as fair or as accurate as it could be. So I mention this because if I express that opinion again going forward, no, it's one I've already held, already been very vocal about, and will continue to express regardless of this meeting I had. Because the meeting itself was really productive. Unfortunately, anything I discussed with Chapek was entirely off the record, which means I cannot repeat any of it here. And frankly, I wish it wasn't, because he was extremely candid in a way I did not anticipate, yet thoroughly appreciated. This wasn't top-level chit-chat, PR speak, or a conversation in quotes. This was a genuine conversation about a lot of stuff, people. A LOT of stuff. And I walked away really grateful to hear his honest perspective on nearly every aspect of the Walt Disney Company. So once again, while no other journalist on the planet has to give a short proclamation that their opinions are unwavering following a single conversation with an executive, I understand this is not a normal job, this is not a normal beat, and this is not a normal type of company where lifestyle and fandom are wrapped up in uh, both a personal and professional sense. So, while my outlook and evaluative eye has not wavered, I gotta tell ya, the person I met and spent a good amount of time with was not the person I'm used to seeing on stage, giving stilted speeches or standing in the formal position of American Business CEO. JPEG is kind of a good time, and I expected that, I mean, somewhat, a little bit, but not to the degree I witnessed. And while I, again... I cannot provide a single example of this due to the stipulation of our conversation, I want to add that it is not easy to walk into a room of Disney Parks-focused media, one of the loudest and most brazen critics of the division he himself used to run, and basically say, ask me anything, and mean it. And that's exactly what he did. And I've done off-the-record conversations constantly in this line of work, but it has never been anything like this. Because you gotta keep in mind, the way this company specifically has handled its relationship with media for the entire time I've been reporting on it is unlike anything else. I'm not gonna include any personal anecdotes here, but trust me from the weight of my voice, this is an age-old, well-oiled PR machine. And anyone who's worked within it or, whew, good luck, faced it in opposition, knows what I mean. So for JPEG to choose to do this of his own volition, to voluntarily step into a room with someone like me, someone like me, who's gonna pounce at the chance to ask things she probably shouldn't. I've never seen that in all my days reporting on Disney or anything even close to that. Never has someone at the company given me actual honest answers without hesitation to every single thing I've asked about a seasonal food or a ride queue. Let alone the CEO himself, who sits in a tornado of public opinion, discussing whatever I wanted to discuss. That, that I have never seen before. That's surprising. It's bold, even if it's off the record. And personally, I'm interested to see more of that guy I saw in that room appear publicly. And with that little gem, let's get back to the ride. Unfortunately, yet again, I'm not able to discuss at length what we saw at Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, so please bear with me as I do a very delicate journalistic tap dance to try and provide you information without having to pull this episode down and entirely re-edit it, which nearly happened and is a small part of this delay. Bloop, surprise. We've seen a few pieces of concept art for this attraction so far, specifically of the queue, which is the starkest difference between this attraction and the one we know and love in Florida. The first piece of artwork from back at D23 Expo 2019 lives on on the Disney Parks blog and features a poster for Canine Caddy, a short from the 40s, and a beanstalk breaking through to the ceiling, a reference to a 1947 short. The new art we saw at Josh Tomorrow's presentation at D23 Expo 22 Features a child spinning a wheel like that of Steamboat Willie, with a plain crazy plane overhead and what looks like a special effect box for Fantasia, while another image is of Mickey figurines honoring Mickey Mouse Disco and Mouser size. Now, I'm not sure if this background story still applies, but in that 2019 announcement, they said, Before you enter the cinema, you'll experience a special exhibit created by the Toontown Hysterical Society, featuring costumes and props from the Toon world. Which is uh, what this is. And while I can't say much again, What I can say is it plays out like a fun, colorful, kind of Mickey Mouse museum done in a style that matches the vibe of Toontown itself, and I think it is very fun and frames the attraction in a whole new way. I also think this iteration of the design, launching during the 100th anniversary of the company with more of a Mickey Mouse emphasis from the jump, is a really nice thing, and dare I say, so much more befitting of this iconic character. I'll add, too, that aside from the queue, it is essentially the same attraction, which I had to get special permission to say, but it is essentially the same ride, which is a good thing, because we like that ride. However, being able to walk the track like we did did give me access to details I had not seen before, which was so interesting. We weren't taken in to see Toontown itself, but the model of Toontown, of Mickey's Toontown, was on display for the public at D23 Expo, so going off of that... I just have to say I think the improvements are so wonderful and so thoughtful. I appreciate that Disneyland saw the need for and the value in having a space for families, for kids, and now for everyone to experience this place in a multi-sensory way. Toontown as it was really wasn't as good as it could have been. And I'm glad they chose to put the money in to redo it and reinvigorate this part of the park. I've gotten a few questions about this area, so I just want to add real quick, Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin will be staying, but unfortunately, I do not yet have details beyond what has been made publicly available for the space itself, including any thematic changes to Gadget's Go Coaster. And right around the corner, after all of that, after Toontown, after Mickey and Minnie's, after New Nighttime Entertainment, and then right around the corner from all of that in early 2023, in spring 2023, we have Magic Happens coming back to Disneyland. Now, I'm obviously thrilled for this because I'll tell you, I still to this day have never seen magic happens. I saw a press preview of some of it, but I never saw the actual parade because I left for Disney World the day it debuted and I couldn't make the press preview. And hey! In February 2020, I thought, oh, no worries, I'll see it when I'm back. And now we all know what happened. (laughs) Huge mistake. Should just assume anytime I have plans that a global pandemic is incoming. So personally, I'm beyond thrilled this is back at the parks. And professionally, I think it is so good and such a good addition to Disneyland Park. It's a great parade. And now we got it back. But it does, however, reflect onto a theme we'll get into, which is... Stuff we already had returning to the parks as new stuff. So put a pin in that as we will discuss it likely in this episode and further on. Spring 2023 will bring Tron Light Cycle Run to Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World Resort. We are hopping coasts right now, people, and I really have nothing to say about Tron. Uh, Honestly, there have been construction pictures of this attraction daily. You can see it from the Tomorrowland Transit Authority People Mover. So, if you're interested in the progress in Tron, you've probably already sought all those images out. This ride. Is a good time. It's fun. But the interior ride building, which is the bulk of the experience, has not yet been shown to the public in full, so I really can't tell how different it might be from Shanghai's version. Either way, a new coaster in Magic Kingdom is always a good thing, so I'm very happy it's here. I've been on it in Shanghai a bunch of times, and it's gonna make any sort of virtual queue lightning lane situation really interesting, and not just for demand. The thing with Tron is that you want to ride it during the day to see people walking around and underneath and things, but you also want to ride it at night when you're plunged into darkness. So prepare yourself for a debate over which is superior and which may likely be the in-demand choice when the ride does finally open. Oh. And why is it opening in spring 2023 when it maybe should have been open during the 50th anniversary? I have no definitive answer, but... The truth is, from where I'm looking, they don't need to open it yet. These parks are busy, they are bustling, and people are still jazzed about Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. So if they're holding it beyond the 50th, which Spring 2023 all but infers, it kind of makes sense. Depending on timing, it could tee up over Spring Break or even open early before summer before those summer crowds and could be the main hook for getting people back to the parks over the summer. But it brings me to our next bit of news. All the stuff at Disney World that doesn't have a date that could debut spring, summer, or Lord knows when. Now I could have sworn we got a date for Hatbox Ghost coming to Haunted Mansion at Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, but I looked online and I cannot find it. So I'm gonna go out on a limb here and I'm gonna say that we are probably going to get this around March 2023 to tie into the release of Haunted Mansion when the film debuts. Because we now know officially that Jared Leto will be playing Hatbox Ghost, it only makes sense to bring Hatbox Ghost to Disney World to tie into the film. Sure, this announcement was kind of played off as fan service and a little bit of a gift to people like us, but the truth is, when you launch a film with a celebrity in a known role, but that role only exists in one version of the Haunted Mansion in California, that is simply an error that needs to be quickly fixed and points to the Hattbox Ghost likely having an integral role to the film, not just a blip and then he's gone cameo. So even if we're getting this as a little favor to fans, it's just because they budgeted it out and probably realized this movie will make no sense with the ride it's named after if it doesn't line up coast to coast. Whatever. Honestly, I don't care. It's fun. It'll be great that it's there. It'll make fans happy. And it ties in with the film. Win-win for marketing and us. Which brings us to the most spectacular news of D23 Expo. That Happily Ever After will be returning. And on top of that, the cherry on top of the dream Sunday. Then Epcot will be getting a new nighttime show. I... Anybody who knows me, who listens to this podcast, who follows me on social media, knows how hurt, enraged, and uh angry, enraged mostly enraged I was that Happily Ever After was taken away from us. I thought personally I love it. Professionally, I thought it was necessary to the Magic Kingdom and I got to tell you, uh I I really tweeting something like summoning circle Happily Ever After and then literally seconds later them announcing <laughs> after with Jordan Fisher walking out on stage is probably the most power I've ever felt in my life I didn't make this happen that's not how things work that's not how Twitter is but still wanting something so bad knowing I was right and having it come to fruition Woo! thank you to everyone who filled out a guest survey who backed me up now back to happily ever after his debut I am going to go out on a limb here and say that because we don't have an official date, Happily Ever After will probably open in the spring or the summer, while whatever nighttime show is coming to Epcot's World Showcase Lagoon will likely open in the fall. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, but look at it from a marketing perspective. If you're lining Tron up to be your big spring-summer story to drive people back to the parks after the 50th and for the 100th, adding Happily Ever After just makes sense and breathes life into the Magic Kingdom as being the must-see destination even beyond the 50th. and to it as well that the 50th ends at that same time and the 100th is able to fully take over. And you kind of have this double whammy in your back pocket that keeps the excitement and the cadence going to draw people to Walt Disney World. Do I have any idea when this will actually happen? No, I do not. I know nothing. (laughs) This is just an educated guess. Whereas Epcot has so much lined up for fall 2022, which we'll discuss once we dive into the significance of Happily Ever After's return, which we will do right after this break. Anyone who's uttered the words Genie Plus knows firsthand that vacations require time, money, planning, energy. And if you put all that effort into enjoying your trip already, why not extend the highlights of that getaway into your everyday with Framebridge? Put that vintage Epcot ticket up in your office and give it a little personality. Surprise your kid with their favorite character's autograph immortalized on the wall of their room. To get started, head to framebridge.com, because your precious travel memories shouldn't have to stay in the past. That's framebridge.com. Welcome back. You all know how much I love Happily Ever After, so I cannot wait to discuss its significance. However, we must first address that this announcement caused so much confusion due to its somewhat bizarre wording. Here is verbatim what the PR Newswire release, the full press release, says. Popular anthem, Happily Ever After, will play again when an updated nighttime spectacular returns to light up the skies over Cinderella Castle in 2023. With truly hundreds of communication experts employed by the company, That's possibly the worst phrasing I've ever heard used in my entire career. What does that mean? (laughs) It absolutely sounds like they're slapping the namesake song on another stinker of a show, which is why all of the internet panic over it was justified. However, as weird as that language is that a song will play again, I have been assured that they are bringing back more than the song. They are not, as that press release kind of makes it sound, bait and switching us. Now, that is all I can say, uh, but that's what I know at this point in time, and I'm taking the win, and I advise you to do that as well. As for Harmonious, and whatever its apparent replacement may be, again, to go back to the timing conversation, I think this will happen late next year, because all of Epcot's other opening dates are all late 2023. World Celebration, the current Parks and Rec-style pit in the middle of Epcot, is set to debut in late 2023. Moana, Journey of Water is set to debut in late 2023. And that figment walk-around character, which seems easy enough to have by now, as my colleague Scott Gustin pointed out, is also set to debut by the end of 2023, which is essentially late 2023. Just looking at those dates and from a kind of marketing perspective, with Disney 100 happening at the same time, it very much feels like they're going to want to launch Epcot anew and tee up this new version of Epcot launched as one with, you know, tying in its background and its history and its future and bringing all of those together to launch in unison. That said, the announcement that a new nighttime show was coming to Epcot really seems to have taken people by surprise. And I don't want to be rude about it, because I know it takes so much work from so many people to put these shows up, and I appreciate that. But as a critic, uh, I knew from the moment I saw these that the nighttime shows for Walt Disney World's 50th were just not good enough to stand the test of time. I've made it pretty clear how I feel about Harmonious, and it's in lockstep with what I feel about Disney Enchantment, the current show, and Magic Kingdom. My issues with Enchantment were that it lacks the heart that a Magic Kingdom nighttime spectacular would have. It's not bad by any means. It hits the marks, there are fireworks or projections or characters, but it doesn't gel in the way necessary to make a bombastic show worth returning to time and time again. It emotionally does not resonate deeply. My issues with Harmonious, however, are the visuals. Now, I've walked this really weird line here with not liking Harmonious because my critique of this show can be, and I think at a time when I first shared it, was misinterpreted as me maybe being culturally insensitive, which is not and has never been the issue. Ever, ever, ever. I love that aspect of the show. I love that they utilized global musicians and artists and talent. That's Epcot, baby. That's what it should be. My issue is that the imagery on those godforsaken barges, which have been moored to the bottom of World Showcase, not the original plan, by the way, that was a fix later on, is not at the level of a Disney nighttime spectacular quality-wise. There are scenes in the show that look like a screensaver on a laptop, and if your Disney nighttime show, Disney, Disney, home of the most brilliant artistic works ever created, pioneers of animation, Disney, has artwork that falls so flat that it looks like it very well might be rights-free imagery, it simply cannot stay. It's an eyesore by day, it's an eyesore by night, and I'm glad that they're course correcting. Because if these shows are going away, it's not because I don't like them, it's because most likely guest surveys and feedback mean that enough people wanted them to go away. With Harmonious and Enchantment going away, there are kind of two schools of thought on this. I'm not sure which one you land on, but I'll present both of them to you regardless. The first thought is that it is almost shocking that This is the Walt Disney Company and Disney Parks saying, Yeah, our 50th anniversary entertainment was not good enough, and they're announcing that it's going away while still running and still promoting the current ones. Extreme Funny Girl on Broadway vibes here, people. Their banner anniversary celebration, the nighttime aspects of it that they debuted with such fanfare, are clearly not good enough and no one in the process seemed to realize or share it. And... Remember, pandemic, plans changing, budget shifting, etc., etc. It just all points to the fact that they should have plussed Happily Ever After with some small portion honoring Walt, honoring the parks, and it really would have solidified the 50th in a great way without having to debut a new show and then pull it back. However, the opposite of this is that You gotta recognize this is kind of a new era of Disney, one of clarity and honesty that I think they need to lean into more. Here they are basically admitting they misstepped and that they can do better. This show wasn't good enough? They're gonna fix it. It's kind of crisis PR 101, and the reason it works is because it's direct, it's honest, and it shows that they hear fans, they know they can do better, and are committed to doing so. It's something I think could behoove them in the future of Disney parks, which aligns with our blue sky discussion we will get into later in this episode. But more importantly, the burning question. Will the barges go away? It's the biggest source of gossip among folks I know, and I sure hope they do, because I want to look out across World Showcase Lagoon and see the World Showcase once again. And last but not least, the final two things we have dates for are Tiana's Bayou Adventure in late 2024, and at some time in 2024, Run Disney returns to Disneyland Resort, which is all the info I have on that, but boy am I happy for my Run Disney people because I know that is very exciting for you. I feel like Everyone has done a really, really good job covering Tiana's Bayou Adventure, and I almost want to defer to other outlets because (laughs) here's what happened. At Thursday's media preview for D23 Expo, all the reporters were grilling Imagineers on details when they unveiled the model, and they got a lot of good intel. Meanwhile, yours truly was still over by the Zootopia puppets, mesmerized by them. They're coming to Shanghai, they're not coming here, but I'm sorry if there is a live puppet happening at a Disney theme park and again in the Parks Pavilion area at D23 Expo. I, I saw this before I entered into the room where I even knew Tiana stuff was happening. So when I see a puppet, you know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm thinking. Say it with me. Muppets. I, of course, saw a puppet. And was like they're gonna, they're gonna pay puppeteers. They're gonna pay. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll finally, maybe they'll bring Puppets back. Maybe they'll come back to Liberty Square. Maybe it's possible. So I had to discuss puppets with the Imagineers who were over there. So I don't have as much Tiana information as everyone else does, and I'm catching up on it. But I want to make sure you know that my lack of intel does not at all mean that I am not thrilled for this attraction because I cannot wait for Tiana's Bayou Adventure. And I say that as someone who does not go on Splash Mountain. The model that we saw on display at D23 Expo shows how beautiful and quaint it will be to have this ride adopt a bayou theme, even from the viewpoint of non-riders passing by, and how absolutely special and joyful the attraction itself will be. We learned at D23 Expo that members of the original voice cast of the film, including Anika Noni Rose, will be returning for the attraction, I mean, we'll have a ton of new animatronic characters on the ride, but the model also gave us a glimpse into what the lift tunnel and drop will look like. You know, where you go up and you go, boo, the whole main drop of the ride. And in my recap episode, I believe after Thursday night, I mentioned that the model had these lights, colorful lights dangling at the top of the lift hill. And it simply had to be Dr. Facilier themed because... That's just what so many of us have thought for so long because that song, I it, like it works so, per- please don't make me sing it again. Uh, <laughs> it works so perfectly for like anticipation of a drop that I just assumed it was going to be that, but see refer to other people. They have better Intel. My friend Craig Williams from the Diz informed me after listening to that episode. Cause he listens. Hi Craig. Oh, you're such a good friend uh, that I was wrong, but he knew the right answer, which I'm so grateful he shared with me. So, Craig told me that he spoke with an Imagineer about the lift hill lights, and according to him, it is not Dr. Facilier-themed. The lights are part of the celebration happening in the attraction, and their goal is to get guests in a fun, celebratory mood as they're climbing the lift hill, rather than, you know, getting children or adults nervous for a big drop. He said it was like they were elevating the excitement rather than building up the fear. And I love that! Isn't that brilliant?! I truly cannot wait to see what this ride will hold when it debuts in 2024 and what rethemed spaces we're going to get in New Orleans Square at Disneyland. It is debuting in Disney World and Disneyland, but we already have New Orleans Square at Disneyland, so yada, yada, yada. The theme of this ride, which I should mention and have not yet, is it's 1927. Tiana is hosting a party in New Orleans, but she's missing an ingredient and oh no, needs our help to get it. But beyond that, there's going to be a special mist element and a special lighting package, both inside the attraction and outside at night. The rendering we saw during the parks panel of Tiana's Bayou Adventure at night is stunning. I cannot wait to see this space after sundown. At Disneyland, can you even imagine, like, looking to your left and it's a beautiful illuminated facade and to your right, phantasmic? Or at Magic Kingdom, standing in the glow of this mountain while watching fireworks? Because uh, I watch fireworks over there sometimes. Don't worry, I know where I know where the <laughs> I know where the castle is. Don't worry, uh, it's gonna be so good. And my friends over at Disney Food Blog had the scoop that we will be getting a restaurant Tiana's Palace at Disneyland. There is no word yet on if it will also be at Walt Disney World, but it will be a reimagining of a current dining location. So I don't know where that is, and I don't know about you. But I'm kinda, I'm giving an eye to Hungry Bear and I'm giving an eye to French Market Restaurant. I don't know what it'll be. I can't imagine uh, fans will be happy about Hungry Bear. Also, French Market is further away from the ride, but there's also this Tiana shop over there, so I think it's fine. Either way, I'm excited about it and I cannot wait. Which brings us to everything else that was announced with no date and no timeline. Sidebar, we are skipping over Disney Cruise Line since we have enough going on right now, but that new ship looks tight. Disney treasure into the name, into the vibe, into hopefully going at it one day. We will start with Porto's coming to downtown Disney, which frankly, I was shocked by. For anyone who's not from literally exactly where I live, um, Porto's is a very popular Cuban bakery and restaurant in California. So it getting the attention and love from Disney is not surprising. The thing is, People really love Porto's more than most other restaurants because it's good, but it also has good prices. Like, unaffected by inflation, bafflingly low, you'd think it was fast food, but it's not, prices. Now, I put this up on Twitter during the Parks panel once this was announced, but what you need to understand is that I checked the menu online for the Buena Park location, which is 8 miles from Disneyland Resort, and at that Porto's, a cookie is 85 cents. Chicken buck thirty nine. A pork tamale? $2.95. And a butter croissant, which was apparently voted LA's best. I've never had that there. I've, I've gotten cake. I gotta get that. Is $2.09. Essentially a two buck breakfast. You see what I'm getting at, right? You see the picture I'm trying to quietly paint? It just seems like there's no world in which portos will not adjust their prices by being on Disney property, simply because of probably things like rent and being good at business. (laughs) And I wonder what those price points will look like when it does open, and if that does affect its popularity more than something like Din Tai Fung, which is already a sit-down restaurant, which is a different price point. However, both of them coming to Downtown Disney is something I am thrilled about and I cannot wait for. I will be eating at both of them constantly. I'm so excited. Another fun surprise was Disney California Adventure turning Pacific Wharf into San Francisco from Big Hero 6 with a Baymax meet and greet and new places to eat and shop. Obsessed. This is what I am looking for. This is such a smart change. I strongly believe this. I know a lot of core fans are going to fight me on it. But I strongly think in our year 2022, lands and theme parks, for the most part, should tie back to something on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Epcot, not included in that conversation. But everything else, I feel like adding small touches to bring these spaces, a space like this, back to the world of Big Hero 6 is so exciting, is smart business-wise, and will undoubtedly breathe new life and new foot traffic into that area. However, will boot? oh God, I don't know how to say it, Boudin, Boudin Bakery, Boudin, <laughs> oh no, this is so embarrassing. Boudin, boudin uh, the bread place. And Ghirardelli stay in the San Francisco portion of San Francisco. Only time will tell. Another announcement we got was about Pixar Place Hotel, the new version of Paradise Pier Hotel, which honestly I think is lame. So we're not going to discuss it here. I will wait for them to wow me. I can't imagine this being cool. But there was something buried in the Disney Parks blog post about it that I found rather intriguing. Uh, I'm just going to read most of this to you. We are thrilled to share here on the Disney Parks blog first. Fans of fried chicken and maple bacon donuts rejoice. We will welcome the team from Southern California local favorite Great Maple, which will open a flagship restaurant on the first floor. And wait for this is me. This is shocking to me. And operate other food and beverage locations throughout Pixar Place Hotel. Interesting, right? They're bringing in third party stuff, but a third-party restaurant, to not only be a restaurant in their hotel, but do all the food? Seems interesting, doesn't it? And I know there's something about this hotel specifically where, and I don't want to speak out of turn. Everything I say, someone told me once and I don't know the details because I never followed up. But there's something about this hotel where it's not a Disney hotel in the same way the other two are. I think it's It's operated but not owned or owned and not operated. There's something happening there that I think has made this possible. So I'm really interested to see what a Disney hotel that has third-party dining uh, uh, throughout it. I want to see what that's like. Curious, right? Kind of strange. Maybe I I am interested now. Maybe I do want to go there. Okay, maybe I take it back. And with that, we have reached the blue sky portion of this episode. Now we are going to discuss the segment of the D23 Expo Parks panel that gave us a look to the future with potential new lands, potential new franchises joining, but maybe because nothing is certain. (laughs) That whole segment featured hopeful looks to the future with artistic renderings of Moana and Zootopia possibly one day coming to Dinoland in Animal Kingdom and Disney villains Coco and Encanto one day perhaps coming to an area beyond Frontierland at Magic Kingdom. And before we get into this, I'm just going to say from the jump because I I got a few calls about this and it does need to be addressed… In terms of these properties belonging wherever, particularly Moana and Zootopia joining Animal Kingdom, I'm not going to expound upon if they belong in the park or not, or if they fit within a thesis of Animal Kingdom or not, because frankly, at the end of the day, it's pointless. If Disney wants to put them somewhere and they choose to plop them here, they're going to write a backstory that, however much it makes sense to us or not, will make it work. I mean, think about it. We have an avatar themed land here and we don't even blink an eye at it because they made sense of it. So I'm not getting into all the philosophy stuff. If they do a good job, if they do their job, because they do a good job, It'll fit. So I, re- I really just I'm I don't think it's helpful if I spend a while discussing if Joe Rody would approve this or not. Uh, I adore him. I think he created probably the best theme park in the world. But unfortunately, it's 2022 and you gotta evolve or die. And that's just the truth of the matter. If this stuff is going to go in this park. It's going to go in this park regardless of what we think. Now, it is impossible to discuss these blue sky ideas presented Without referencing what was not presented at D23 Expo, like imminent things we know are coming, like a phantasmic opening date, or that treehouse that's being worked on at Disneyland? What is that theme now? Or things that are just in purgatory, like paint the night, or if Main Street Electrical Parade has a future in Florida. And then there are things like DCA still not having a live show in that massive theater. But above all, what wasn't announced was any indication of much of anything new and exciting coming before 2025 or even 2026. Just take a look at that Avengers attraction we know so little about that is apparently coming to Disney California Adventure. There was previously a Quinjet attraction first announced as phase two of that land, and now there's this multiverse attraction that's almost more confusing from the jump. The center of the land currently still stands as an empty entrance to future expansion. The main building in the middle of the land you cannot go in. And yet, despite the news and despite the artwork and despite the Kevin Feige coming on stage to discuss this, it still doesn't feel any closer to anything concrete opening within that land. And it just kind of makes me feel like we're in this zero-win situation when it comes to the major news necessities of a convention like this. I mean, think about it. Fans are frustrated because D23 Expo did not yield the news we're trained to expect. Big sweeping announcements about rides with realistic timelines and the trust that they'll actually happen. There are no rides to look forward to that have not already been announced after this year's Expo. We got Tiana and we got some sketches. (laughs) There's not much in between in the timeline. And I'm sure... We're not alone in feeling like this. I'm sure Disney is frustrated, too, by this self-inflicted pressure to announce so much at D23 Expo. I'm sure it was a challenging decision for them to decide to pull back the curtain on certain projects that are nowhere near even the early stages of being built. And I have to think the reason we did that is because there is nothing else to share at this time. But here's what I do wish we got with it. An honest acknowledgement that we are still dealing with the fallout from the pandemic. We all know it and we never talk about it. Myself included. I mean, that's why food costs so much more and portions are smaller because they need to increase revenue and recoup and balance out other sectors of the company that they're putting money into. That's why tickets and admission cost so much because of pent up demand from the start of the pandemic. That's why we have a park reservation calendar to balance employees with guest counts across the park. Even ride openings have been delayed across the board. Tron was supposed to open during the 50th anniversary and will likely not even make that 18-month window. And as much as we dance around it and try to forget and still are hopeful for the future of these parks, everything is different since D23 Expo 2019. This is a different world with economies that are fluctuating and countries, integral ones to the Disney parks business, that cannot be visited internationally or at sometimes due to repeated closures overseas, not at all. And on top of that, this is a different clientele. One who now know what it's like for the first time to not be able to visit a Disney park, sometimes for a year or more, whether it's for Disneyland standing closed for so long or due to budgetary and financial reasons. And this is a different Disney. A company that has entirely shifted from the one that hosted and encouraged attendees to sign up for something called Disney Plus on site at D23 Expo 2019. A platform that is now a powerhouse and kind of the main focus for the company as a whole. So I've had to recalibrate and realize once I started planning this episode that as frustrated as this gal is that we didn't get a ride announcement, and as much as I complained about it online, I can only do so if I also acknowledge that I gotta stop acting like everything is back to normal because it's not. And while I do stand behind that, I have to add, Universal, right down the street in Orlando, keeps chugging away working tirelessly on Epic Universe, which will arrive in 2025. And Disney seemingly has nothing lined up to combat this. I would have to think that they're not threatened by Epic Universe, but the truth of the matter is it's possible that this will pull away their audience if there isn't something to pull them back. It's kind of what happened with Wizarding World of Harry Potter and why myself and other people tend to split a trip between Disney World and Universal while they're there. And while it doesn't seem like, oh, they're taking too much of our revenue, that's true now, but if someone in two years, three years, four years is planning a trip to Disney and there is more exciting stuff happening at Universal that might cut into a day or two of the time they would have spent at Walt Disney World. I don't know. I am not a fortune teller. But even with everything I just said, it is weird to me that we walked out of that panel somewhat aware of even what the five-year plan for Disney Parks is. All that said about the pandemic, it is a bit weird. The big attractions we know about are Tron, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway and Tiana's Bayou Adventure. Two of those are copies from other parks and one is a retheme. And now that we know their timeframes, it just seems like it's going to be real quiet between early 2023 and late 2024 when no new ride is opening as far as we know. It's pretty much confirmed. I I mean there's no ride under construction we don't already know about. <laughs> so, in terms of that solid time frame, not even what's happening 2025 and after when we get into the epic universe of it all. Is the hype for Tron, a coaster in Florida, enough to last a year and a half? We can talk about it until we're blue in the face about why it's disappointing as a Parks fan to have no clarity on a newly announced ride with a solid timeline coming to either domestic park, something we all but expected. But I'm also somewhat taken aback that something wasn't announced simply for future planning. I am very curious to see what the vibe is like with attendees at Disney parks and specifically Walt Disney World in early and mid 2024. Again, Tron is opening spring 2023. Tiana is opening late 2024. And there is a gap there. A narrative happening below all of this is that while these new things are being announced and while this is all happening, these parks, specifically Walt Disney World, are only getting harder, more expensive, and more burdensome to visit. And With a stretch like that at Walt Disney World with no real new ride, and don't tell me Journey of Water coming will bring the crowds. (laughs) Don't tell me that. What is going to motivate people to book their travel? What is being planned to keep that demand up when we don't know if demand will waver at that point? Keep in mind, we are currently witnessing high demand from the pandemic, but early, mid 2024? Who knows if that will wane? I'm really not sure what's going to happen, and I don't know what will be in store for that time period or even once Tiana's Bayou Adventure debuts. But in general, for the blue sky announcements, I'm in support of all of them. I strongly believe change is good at these parks. I think a Coco and Encanto themed land or attraction, hopefully both, and the whole nine are essential. I also do not think, which I have seen some people say online, that those two properties should be shoved in Epcot because they're. Cultural, which is pr- pretty bogus. They don't deserve to be othered. I think they absolutely belong here at the main show at Magic Kingdom, and I would love to see them together at this location that they're talking about, beyond Frontierland. I think the properties they're focusing on are smart and overdue and needed, but. I have to loosely trust that far out in the future they are thinking these lands and spaces through. But still these are far off ideas. They are ideas. They are not realities. And as much as I believe that yes the pandemic has affected everything, when the tickets are costing more, when the food keeps costing more, when the fast pass replacement keeps costing more, you naturally need to see more new reasons to return. And while I don't doubt that they're thinking through what is going to be immensely successful with some of these ideas they floated. What happens before then? This is many years out. What keeps us coming back between the things we know and the things we don't know as these places get more complicated and more expensive to visit? And that's the question I wish would have been answered from D23 Expo's park panel. And I didn't get that. I understand why we didn't get a new ride. I understand the complications. And I understand the risk of presenting blue sky ideas like that on the main stage. But still, I've got questions. And I don't know if we're going to get those answers until we reach those times. Thank you so much for listening to our recap episode. If there's anything else you have questions about, feel free to call the Churros hotline and we will tackle it next week on our Duffy and Friends episode. But until then... Uh, happy theme parking! Hi, Carly. This is Liz from Washington,
1: D.C. Um, I had a question. I was looking online after the uh, Legends panel this past weekend. And are, what are, are there any specific perks to being a Legend? Like, you get permanent Club 33 access or, like, always go to the parks with X number of people for free? Obviously, a lot of these people would do that anyway because they're in the Disney family. But I was just curious if there's anything kind of set in stone in terms of perks for Disney legends. Thank you, and I hope you have a wonderful day.
0: Okay. Ooh, really good question. Um, I don't believe there are any specific perks to becoming a Disney legend beyond, you know, putting your hands in the plaque and... Uh, getting the statuette, the little trophy to bring home and knowing it's very elite. And I guess it most of all just kind of raises you to a level of Disney stardom. And when you are a Disney legend, I assume you're kind of just tied to the company in the future. Like you're in the mix for special events and things like that. You are part of an elite club. You're part of a group of honorees who are very important. And that just has a certain special connection to the company because of it. But as far as I know, they're not passing out like... You know, apparently in award shows, you get like a basket when you win an award. I don't think they're getting like a, you know, like coupon to Alani and like seven free VIP tours. Like, I don't think that's how it goes down. I think it just kind of solidifies publicly what you've done for the company, the impact you've had on a certain segment or multiple segments of the company and that you are kind of bonded to them. For life in a way, in a nice way. Not in a creepy way. In a nice way. I think it's really nice. I really like that they do it. Um and it seems really, really special to be the recipient of one of those awards, which also seem very heavy, which I learned from watching this year's uh Legends Awards ceremony at D twenty three Expo. Thanks for calling though. I was my I was curious about that too. And uh it seems like it's mostly just just the status. Just the status. Hey
2: Carly, it's Rachel. Um I I'm calling because I know that you're covering D23 this week and I um, have been wondering all my life, not all my life, but why isn't Tom Hanks a Disney legend yet? I did speak to someone from the archives because I think the archives is in charge of organizing the legend ceremony. Um, Anyway, they said that the person has to like Want to be a Disney legend and has to be available for the ceremony at D23. So I'm wondering, um, is Tom Hanks just too busy? Cause he deserves to be a Disney legend. He is Woody. He also played Walt Disney. Um, and for some reason he's not. Tim Allen is, but Tom Hanks is not. So I'm wondering, has he declined it? Why would he decline it? He's Tom Hanks. He loves winning awards, right? Um, anyway, if you happen to find someone who knows the answer, or at least can tell me that one day Tom Hanks will be a Disney legend, because then I will actually go to the Disney legend ceremony and sit front row, um, let me know. That is the one thing that has, I've never been able to get an answer, and it's the one thing I want, is Tom Hanks to be a Disney Disney legend. Okay, anyway, um, uh, see you around D23. Okay, bye.
0: This is a brilliant question because I do not know why Tom Hanks is not a Disney legend yet. Perhaps, and I'm just trying to think of this in a cosmic way, perhaps even Disney legends, even that award ceremony needs their own Susan Lucci or needs their own Glenn Close, who has been nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, but I believe has never won one. Maybe that's what Tom Hanks is. He is a star who we're anxiously awaiting for many, many years for him to get a Disney Legends award and Disney Legends status. And when he does, it'll be all the sweeter. But when you bring it up, I really don't know. The man played Walt Disney. You are absolutely right. It's a bit odd. I'm not sure. Maybe he's modest. Maybe he doesn't think he's worthy of putting his hands in those concrete and that concrete or whatever so that it'll be on display but i think it's on display in bronze and i really don't know what i'm talking about because i don't know how plaques are made but i think he deserves to be a disney legend i'm right there with you and um at the next d23 expo in 2024 i will be ringing that bell you can trust me because now i'm all on board with tom hanks deserving to be disney legend status thank you for calling in with this very important issue rate, review, and follow Very Amusing on Apple Podcasts, and rate and follow Very Amusing on Spotify. I also don't really know about like the, the computer end of how podcasts work, but apparently it means much more if you download the episodes, which I did not know about. Uh, I've never heard anyone warn about that. Anyway, if you can download it, I think that helps. I need to look more into that because I don't know how it works, but apparently it's a huge deal that I was not aware of. <laughs> You can give us a call anytime at 747 Churros or send a voice note to 747 Churros or email a voice note to 747churros at gmail.com. When I say send a voice note, I mean like text it to 747churros.com. No, not .com, 747 Churros. Oh my God, I've said it too much. Basically, if you want to get a hold of us, send us stuff because we will be doing a Churros hotline specific episode because we have so many calls I have to get to that I want to get to that I want to provide answers to. So get them in in the next week or two so that. we can pop one of those bad boys out. You can follow me at Carly Weisel on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, or join the FOMOLE at facebook.com slash groups slash Carly Wisell. You can also wear your very amusing heart on your sleeve with our merchandise at very-amusing.com. I know I didn't put up the, the kids merch that we got in, because I've been busier than expected with the D23 Expo, but I will be putting it up soon. Uh, I will announce it on social media. It's coming, I swear. It's, it's at HQ. Like, it's ready to go. I'm just been drowning over here, but it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. So, um, if you want to put a t-shirt on a small child or a little teddy bear or anything like that, Ooh, I wonder if it'll fit on my Lena Bell. Ooh, DVD. Anyway, if you want to do that, uh, you can very soon at very-amusing.com. We've plenty of other merch there. That's worth checking out. Be stylish. we're amazing stuff. This episode was edited by me. Hope it wasn't too bad. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon.
2: Hey, honey,
1: it's me. I just wanted to say, oh, my God, I didn't know anything about D23 except that I knew Jeffrey Epstein works for them, and he puts out a great magazine. And sometimes there's panels and they have questions and interviews. That's all I know, but it is so much more. I had no idea how amazing this is going to be, and I wish I was going. That would, it sounds very cool. So after hearing Becky Klein's interview with you, I want to go. It is a big deal. It's like, what you say, 12,000 square feet in three days? That sounds like a huge, amazing place. But I guess it would be to bring a plane and to bring things from different decades, and it just sounds amazing, and I wish I was going. I am in awe of Becky Klein rolling up her sleeves and grabbing the toolkit. I am so impressed. That's like doing hard labor. This girl really does her job well. And I just didn't know what she was talking about or you were talking about. You said something about a black pearl that got my attention. Is that Mrs. Disney's jewelry? That would be very cool. Um, I'm going to talk very little today because I overdid last week. So, number one, I never yell at you. You said that. I do not yell at you. You yell at me. I don't yell at you. So, let's just clear that. I'm not ever, ever going to try anything that says maggot hot dog. Not happening. The sound of it sounds awful. And I just want to apologize to Jeff Box because I went over last week, over three minutes. So, I'm trying to rush this and not say too much. I don't want to get anybody angry. But I love you so much. It was a wonderful episode, and I will see you soon because I'm coming to see you. I'm so excited. Yay. Yay. Very soon. Let's do another episode together. I just thought of that. I love you. Bye, honey.